all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I've been in fire investigations for over 45 years. I'm an expert in fire investigations and explosions. I'm also a past honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators and now a manager of CFIS, Consolidated Fire Investigation Services, as well as my own company, Fire Consulting International. And this is Donna. I have almost 30 years in fraud investigations and I'm a past director of the IAAI, International Association of Arson Investigators, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. Yes, thank you. And, and, um, and we have today a, a wonderful guest. Um, I've, I've known this man for many years, and he is a wonderful attorney. His name is Louis C. Curso, or Louis Curso. Uh, he specializes in civil litigation, um, primary emphasis on personal injury, products liability, negligence, insurance coverage, commercial litigation and has been the lead attorney on many state and federal uh, court and uh, cases in federal courts. Uh, he also won the um, Lance O. Hocker Memorial Trial Lawyer Award uh, in Missouri, which is for um, wonderful uh, attorneys um, and how they how they uh, perform. Uh, he has uh, obtained uh, verdicts and settlements in, for his clients in excess of $250 million, and uh, I think that's probably more than that since this thing was written. Um, he also has reported cases such as Freeman versus United Cities Propane Gas of Georgia and, uh, and many more. Um, he's uh, been the chairman of the American Association of Justice gas, fire, and explosion litigation groups since 1986. So, Lou, um, I can't, uh, I'm not going to read the entire thing because uh, we only have an hour show. So, um, I want to welcome you. Thank you for coming to see us here. Appreciate you asking me to be here today. Well, uh, the reason I did is because you are um, a fine litigator and you um, you know your net, one of your niches in uh, in fire investigation is, is, and explosions are are the propane um, cases and uh, it's very important for us as a fire a fire investigators to not only understand it ourselves but to to help the public um, guard against their being injured and I was I was wondering if you could uh, we could talk about some of the, the the basic necessities that that people are should do, or some things that they can do to help uh, protect themselves. Well, with any gas system, but in particular propane, you want to make sure that your propane system is inspected and maintained on a minimum of an annual basis. I mean, the first line of defense in preventing any of these tragedies is to make sure that you don't have a gas leak. And that's the best thing you can do to begin with. But of course, we all know those are not fail safe. We have to have something else to protect folks that are using propane gas. The industry has chosen uh, an odorization method of warning people. They, they add an odorant to the gas that's a distinct odor, and it works a lot of the time 
but it's not perfect. There are many circumstances where it won't work. Yeah, it's like some of those are like, uh, well, like older people uh, lose some of their olfactory uh, and uh, ability to to detect it. Correct. And a lot of people have no ability to smell uh, the particular type of odors like you have in propane and don't even know it. And that's uh, ethyl or butyl mercaptans. Ethyl mercaptans. Ethyl mercaptans, and and they put in uh, that's that rotten egg smell that correct. people hear. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the other problem is that propane is heavier than air. It's different than natural gas. It tends to seek the lower levels in a house or a structure. Well, the problem with that is, depending upon what kind of degree of mixing you have in that area, there may be an explosive mixture of propane below your knees, and you'll never smell it at your nose. That's a scientific fact. Right, particularly if, uh, if it's either... Well, uh, we were talking about this before we went on the air. Uh, in the Midwest, we have a bunch of different soils and, and clays and stuff like that. And so if you would have a, a, like a leak underground, uh, like a hole in a, in a propane line from your, from your propane tank, it could actually, the molecules of, of the mercaptan are, are larger than the molecules of the gas. So they would actually be able to flow into your house. And so you'd have an invisible, uh, odorless fuel gas uh, in, in the floor of your, your, say, your basement or something. Exactly. Which could be moved around by you're just walking around in it, right? That's, that's a big problem. Another problem with uh, propane odorant, this one we're talking about after it's escaped. Right. Once it's in a very common place is a, a basement, an unfinished basement. Unfinished concrete tends to do two things with propane odorant. One, it, it draws it away from the gas. It's called adsorption. It actually pulls the molecules away from the gas and then they adhere to the concrete. The other is they could chemically, uh, odorant molecules chemically react with some of the chemicals in concrete, which then destroys the odor from a chemical standpoint. So uh, tests going back in the mid-70s done by the United States government shows that even if you put it in a release odorized propane in a chemically inert room, we're not talking about concrete, chemically inert room, that the odorant will be removed from the gas on a pretty linear uh, pace. So you can have basement full of gas with no odorant in a short amount of time. I hope fire investigators out there everywhere are listening to this because a lot of people don't know that. Uh, also, <clears throat> depending on the age of, of the soil and or the concrete, does that have an effect on the propane? Not really, because the type of soil does. Mm -hmm. uh, some soils are more uh, absorptive, they call it. But they, you know, some clays are more or better at stripping the odorant out. Uh, sandy soils, just it just depends on what part of the country you're in. Okay. And you work all over the country. I do, I do. My first uh, propane case that involved soil absorption was in Texas. It was just north of uh, Dallas. We had an unfortunate situation where it was an uh, ongoing leak, and it uh, was stripped and then entered the cellar mm -hmm. through a crack in the concrete. And uh, the retailer came out in front of the customer 
and he decided to check for a leak with, you guessed it, a lighter. <laughs> and he, he struck his lighter and showed there was a small little trickle of flame. And uh, that taught her, the victim, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. It's, it's okay to do that. It's safe. Gave her a false sense of security. My goodness. After multiple leak calls that were ignored, they finally came out to check it on the final day. And she thought it was a good idea to show him where the leak was. And when the, she struck the lighter that time, there was a much larger flash, which caught her clothes on fire and she suffered some horrendous burns. That's that's terrible. Um, and I, I've worked them um, over my career. I've worked too many uh, where people have uh, have inadvertently been uh, burned or killed um, by propane explosions. It's, I, I don't have any around my house. I, I don't like propane. And uh, frankly, a lot of people, um, uh, well, actually, they they uh, also do things to, to uh to hurt themselves. Uh, in the in the past, they had two different ways that you would uh, attach a a, a a propane cylinder, and one of them was a screw type, which was not a quick a disconnect type, and and uh, and they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, secure them properly, and then they'd have an ignition. And I was thinking of a, a little girl, a little four year old that got terribly burned, and uh, from from that. Um, and you've worked a lot of things, haven't you? Have you worked a, a propane bottle uh, situation? Everything from a handheld torch to a thousand-gallon tank. All right. In, in fact, <clears throat> at one point, there was a major uh, manufacturer that had a problem with their propane uh, grills, and uh, and I think they uh, recalled all of those uh, by now. So. It's it's interesting because it took the grill and cylinder industry over 20 years to react to the recommendations that were made uh, by experts as well as the Consumer Product Safety Commission. They fought for years to get the stop-fill device installed in the cylinders so you don't overfill them, which is a huge problem with propane cylinders. And uh, they ignored the recommendations about the quick disconnect, which are now standard. They're now mandatory the stop fill and the uh, quick disconnect, which makes the whole system much, much safer. That, that I'd like to ask, um, let's take a tank situation with a home. And if you would, two things, just kind of go through how that system operates from the tank into the home to the appliance. And then uh, let us know who's responsible for what part of that system for maintenance and and things like that okay let's say you've got a standard 500 gallon storage tank that's a steel tank it's designed to operate under pressure the propane actually comes into the tank in a liquid form and uh, they're supposed to be filled to 80 or 85 percent full the area that's above that is called the head space that's the vapor space and propane boils at a very low temperature, so that creates the vapor. So on top of the tank, before the propane can be used in the house, you have to have a regulator. It used to be there was a one regulator set up. Now they have what's called dual stage. They have a regulator on the tank. It flows 
to the house, and then there's a secondary, uh, second stage regulator before the gas goes into the house. The gas that goes in the house has to be at a pressure sufficient uh, to operate the appliances, but it's actually a very low pressure uh, system as opposed to what's coming out of the tank. There are supposed to be the appropriate uh, gas lines, whether they be copper or steel, and of course they have to be protected if they're underground, if they go penetrate a concrete wall, they're supposed to be sleeves so they don't, uh, are not susceptible to rust. The best way is to go above the wall and penetrate one outside wall and then go into the house as opposed to going through the concrete. So the answer to the question is, who is responsible? Well, whoever is making money off of the system is responsible. Mm -hmm. The owner of the home may rent the tank, they may own the tank. But the company providing service to the customer is responsible for inspecting everything from the tank to the appliance. Okay. And that's not me saying that. That's an, uh, a book called The National Fuel Gas Code, NFPA 54. Mm -hmm. And it is also, what I'm telling you, is found in virtually any sizable propane company's policies and procedures. Because I've got them to admit this over and over and over. They're not selling gas. They're selling service. Mm -hmm. They're selling a product and service. Service means you make sure everything is operating properly and, most importantly, operating safely. Because people that are the customers, they're not the ones that are charged with knowledge. The companies that are licensed, that are uh, under the jurisdiction of the state and federal authorities that have adopted NFPA 54, those are the ones in a position to know. Yeah, and on NFPA 54, one of the requirements is that if there is a condition called gas up where you're, you run out of uh, propane in your tank, uh, then when it's filled by the gas company, it has to the the lines, the gas lines have to be pressure tested to make sure you don't have any uh, link, links, is that correct? It's not only the lines, but the entire system. Mm -hmm. And NFPA 54 requires a pressure test and a leak test anytime there's an interruption in service, even if there's not a gas out. Because if you shut the tank off to do something like replace the regulator, then the system is uh, in a perfect situation for something to go wrong. Something has changed because it's no longer under pressure. So, uh, yeah, like brake lines on a car. Right. So, anytime there's an interruption in service, you're required to test the system and also to put the appliances in operation. That means to come in and light them. There are still a lot of systems out there that don't have automatic ignition, and so you physically have to operate a pilot light. Yeah, I, I had worked one that was uh, resulted in a guy's death where. Um, they hit the propane company had, he'd had a gas out and a propane company had come and delivered 300 <clears throat> gallons of, um, of, of propane uh, in June and then again another 300 gallons in September now um, let me say that the summer was in the middle of that and it was very hot and the only thing that he had that was being operated by 
by propane was a uh, was a uh, water heater and a and a and a and a furnace. He wasn't using his furnace during the wet, uh, summer, um, so he was only using this uh, this. Uh, Water heater and, and a range. So in 300 gallons, that's uh, I think you and I talked about this before uh, we went on the air. That's a whole that's a, could be a whole year's worth of use, right? So those two small appliances. Yeah, yeah so unbelievable. Yeah, so you can you can imagine um, there's a why would you have three usage of 300 gallons? Well, logically, it would tell you you had a problem. You had a leak somewhere. They didn't do the they didn't do the test they, as, as required by 54 and FDA 54. And he tried to light his water heater, at which time uh, he was he was he was in the basement uh, filled with uh, uh, a, an invisible, unodorized uh, gas, fuel gas. And the reason it was unodorized is he had nu- numerous leaks underground, and uh, and had and at the regulator, uh, the elbow to the regulator, and so he had this whole basement in essence filled with uh, fuel gas which blew the place of course up a little bit and uh, and flash fried him and he died he, he ultimately died after being uh, uh, taken to a, a, a hospital a wonderful burn unit KU uh, and uh, and medically induced in a coma and and had a, had a real problem they cut off his hands it was so burned and uh, anyway, so they woke him up and he said, I don't want to go on, and at which time he, um, he died within four hours. This is a case that is, there was a terrible case of exactly what you talk about. And, and you've taken these people to task over this, haven't you? Oh, numerous times. One of the, you know, the, you see very familiar patterns, unfortunately. Um, and most, most of these situations with propane are usually in the rural areas. Mm-hmm. And what that means is you're going to run into a lot of older equipment. And one of the problems we've seen in numerous cases is that the old systems, as installed, don't meet today's code. And one big problem we see over and over is what's called the lack of a sediment trap. A sediment trap is a pipe fitting that uh, is actually a piece of pipe that allows uh, sediment contaminants to just drop out of the gas flow before it gets to the valve, the, the control valve for the water heater or the furnace. And that's very important because the contaminants that are inherently in gas, you can't get them all out, whether they're, they're solid particles or something called heavy ends of the propane as it's, as it's refined. Uh, it's, it can be very heavy. It looks like uh, gunk grease that you'd use on your car. Well, contaminants, whether they be what they call particulates or uh, heavy ends, gum up the valve mechanism. And they usually wind up creating a problem where the valve seats. So that's where the valve closes. Mm -hmm. And that's the way the valve is supposed to fail safe. And when the failure mechanism uh, is defeated by contaminants. Then when you have a pilot light that goes out, you have a situation where the valve doesn't close and you keep pouring gas into a system, whether it's the hot water calling for heat or the furnace calling for heat. So those are major problems we've seen over and over. 
So in that situation, um, because it is in the rural communities, obviously, with the older equipment, if a uh, propane company, for lack of a better term, a service person, uh, comes across this, and the homeowner is not willing to upgrade the system or do the things it needs, what happens in that? Is that documented? Or first obligation is to red tag the system. You put a tag on the appliance, and you, it warns them, do not use it, do not service it. Mm-hmm. It's inoperable, dangerous, etc. Got a standard uh, card used by the industry for many years for that. Secondly, I say they need to go at least another step forward, forward further, and that is to go out, shut the gas off, and remove the regulator, and make sure that system is not used. Because right. there, is, there is no longer a safe way to use that system. So I've uh, uh, had a great deal of success with many propane companies uh, following, not following that rule, but in getting them to admit how important that is. And propane companies will not hesitate to go and pull and remove a regulator when you haven't paid your bill. <laughs> right. So the safety of the customer is more important than paying their bill. So if it's good enough, to enforce their uh, payment policies, it's good enough to enforce their safety policies. And we also know that, that some some uh, some companies are more reluctant to do that than others uh, because they want to keep a good relationship with the the uh, client. But then also on top of that, the customers uh, you can red, red tag a system. And the customers will go around it if they have an opportunity. If, if you take the regulator, that's a, you know, take it. That's different. But I mean, they're going to put their own one on generally. But uh, but what'll what'll happen is they'll try to go around it. I work a lot of uh, of uh, commercial kitchen fires in New York City, and uh, one of the things they can do they can get a red tag a system. Uh, one of those the protection companies will do that, and the people will go around it. And, uh, and they have to report it to the to local authorities before they'll enforce it. So it's amazing to me uh, some of the people, some of the things that people do that uh, it causes their own problems. Are there still some propane systems in in the city in the city proper? Are there? There are. Many? Yes, some people, you know, there are some parts in our city, Kansas City, that are actually uh, fit the city zoning code for agriculture or nurseries or whatever so it's not unusual to have those mm-hmm. pieces of property on acreage that actually have propane systems right and and uh, and and those people are um and again a lot of people are just dependent on on the propane company to um to operate properly so uh, and and so they end up giving up a, a lot of their responsibility to them when they when they also have to be proactive enough to make sure that that things are running properly that they should they should ask their companies to make sure that they inspect the system correct. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to assume if you're selling the gas that at some point with some customer something is going to go wrong. So what do you do? You can't predict who that's going to be. So you need to follow the same rules, policies, and procedures to keep your all of your customers safe. Another problem we see time and time again is these systems don't have another uh, code provision in force, which is to have a shutoff valve 
within six feet of the appliance. Mm. This is a, an important situation in any situ in any uh, type of home. But it becomes extremely important when you have rental property that is using propane. A lot of people move appliances in and out of rental property. They know it's a problem. So one way to protect the uh, inhabitants of the house is to make sure that you've got a appliance shutoff valve. So if someone does remove the appliance, you can shut the gas off right at the appliance. We've seen many systems where the there were no shutoff valves. Yeah, I, I worked one uh, in a rural community in Kansas where they had replaced the water heater uh, with with a an electric water heater, and they didn't they didn't shut off the the gas, and the gas uh, went into and it was in, it was being remodeled from a fire. As a matter of fact, it's being remodeled, and and what happened was uh, the guy came home. Uh, he went in his house. I think he turned on a light switch because we'll know, never know generally what the ignition source was exactly and blew himself out into the street. Burned, of course, flash burned, and <clears throat> he, he survived that. But uh, the, the real truth of the matter is things can go wrong, and, and people, if you, you don't have that shut off and you don't operate it, then, then you're not going to be, uh, you're not gonna be safe in your own home. And a lot of these apply to natural gas, too, that you're speaking yes, of. Yes, the, the National Fuel Gas Code <laughs> applies to both natural and propane gas. And uh, I would say we see a greater frequency of these kind of problems with uh, propane as opposed to natural gas. There are statistics out there kept by uh, National Fire Protection Association as well as the Consumer Product Safety Commission that show the incidence of injuries with propane and natural gas. At, at the low end, you're three times more likely to be injured in a fire or explosion with propane as opposed to natural gas. I think that's probably too low. It's probably closer to between seven and 10 times more likely. Wow. And I, I don't doubt that at all. From, from my years of experience, I appreciate that. Now, when, we're going to take a break here in a moment, but when we when we come back, Lou, I'd like to talk to you about, um, well, anything that you want to add to this, but also I want to talk to you about what we can do uh, as, uh, as consumers uh, to um, prevent or help at least be notified or warned uh, about these things, uh, what can we do? What kind of what? What do you recommend? Because you know we uh, I work cases like uh, for uh, uh, like warnings like uh, like gas detectors. So we'll and I'd also like to have you share a, a case. Obviously, uh, no incriminating anything, but share a case with us. One of the most interesting ones that you had. Absolutely. Okay. 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 So when you come back, ladies and gentlemen, come back to speaking of fire. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. 
We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact fireanalysis.net. That's fireanalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Uh, before the break, we talked about a few things. I wanted to ask you first, though, to share an a interesting case. Well, this was uh, probably one of the most tragic cases I ever had. It was uh, one that I think ultimately had, uh, from what I'm told by lawyers that defend propane companies and the articles I saw written following this case uh, in terms of waking the industry up to their absolute urgency to improve the safety measures, the inspections, and their warnings program. I represented a young lady who was the, she was five when this happened. It happened on her father's birthday. They had just gone shopping and had just moved into a rental property. And there was an appliance that had been removed. And, of course, there was no shutoff valve. So they turned on the furnace because it was a little chilly. And while the five-year-old girl was in the living room and her father was asleep, there was an enormous explosion. It just literally blew the side walls of the house out. Uh, All of them were burned horrifically. Uh, The father did not survive his injuries. The mother did, and the daughter, Tara, was immediately taken to Shriners Burn Hospital in Cincinnati, and she was the most severely burned patient that ever survived Mm -hmm. and went to that hospital. She lost both of her legs below her knees. She lost all of her fingers uh, down to the last knuckle and was burned over 90 plus percent of her body and those injuries when you see people that lose limbs usually it's because uh two things the the skin on the extremities 
is the most susceptible to burn injuries. Her problem was she had, when you get skin burned off, your natural protection for your, your body to protect you from infection is your skin. When you lose that, then your body goes into a major battle with infection. So the doctors are on the horns of a dilemma. Do I continue to give enormous amounts of antibiotics to save the patient's life? Or do I pull back on those so they don't lose their limbs? Because many of the antibiotics have the uh, side effect of uh, decreasing circulation. So that's when they wind up losing fingers and toes and hands and wow. other other portions of their their body. So what we found in this case was we had a local retailer, very, very, very unsophisticated. And uh, he was so, uh, I'll just put it this way, reckless that his own house that he lived in with his family did not meet code. <laughs> wow. He was sent multiple uh, leaflets, pamphlets, bulletins from the suppliers of uh, propane, the wholesalers, and ignored every one of them. Mm -hmm. Didn't follow any of the recommendations followed by the industry, recommended by the wholesalers, and uh, just really had a non-existent safety system, safety program. And safety is not something written on a piece of paper. Safety is a mindset. Safety is something, if you want to be successful at protecting people, you have to think about it and live it and breathe it every day. Because if mm -hmm. you don't, that's when things fall through the cracks and that's when people get hurt. So when we filed suit, we filed suit against the retailer and the wholesaler. And the wholesaler was of the mindset, we expected our retailers are going to be sophisticated. We expect they're going to do this. We expect they're going to do that. We know they get these bulletins and whatnot, but their expectations were wrong. So our focus on them was, what did you do to find out whether this guy was competent? What did you do to find out if he was following the rules? What did you do to find out if he was keeping systems up to code? What did you do to find out how they were treating their customers? And the answer was nothing. They were doing nothing. And um, we demonstrated that other propane companies actually do have a system of surveying their customers' practices. And there are, uh, for a while, Philip 66 had what's called branded dealers. If you wanted to be a Philip 66 retailer, you had uh, special paperwork, special program you had to be part of, and you had to follow their guidelines. And if you didn't follow their guidelines, they'd quit selling the gas. So we had a big contrast between what the wholesaler was doing with a non-branded uh, retailer. And that was the uh, 
focus of the case, the um, real tragedy of that case is after we successfully settled that case for in 1998 for what was a record of $15 million, the wholesaler continued to sell gas to this retailer. And within six months of settling that case, yes, it did happen. Another one of his customers suffered another tragic uh, propane explosion death. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's it's horrible, and and people don't learn from that. And and um, the sanctions, uh, uh, sanctions are not uh, terribly. They're, they're not very um, uh, heavy, other than the loss of money. And money will never replace a life. It, it will never give this. This is a terrible, disfiguring injury to this lady, this poor child. <clears throat> Excuse me, and and she has to live with that forever. I mean, you'll see. Well, local. I mean, uh, recent examples that people can see on the internet every day is 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 our is our wonderful veterans coming back from these wars, all disfigured with with fire and burned badly and disfigured and there and and so you can see it every day and people need to be aware uh, that they can do things to to help uh, these in uh, these these criminal <laughs> I think it's a criminal offense not to follow up on that stuff but it's not criminal it's you'll have to hit them civilly but uh, but um, what can what do you think Lou what do you think people can do to, to try and help mitigate some of these things? Uh, what, kind of, what kind of alarms or something? Well, I think the first thing you, you want to try to deal with, with uh, what I would call someone other than a mom and pop retailer. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they don't have the expertise or sophistication or the programs, the safety programs, to do what the major retailers do. I think that's first and foremost. Uh, if you're a, a propane user, I think it is absolutely essential that you have what's called a gas alarm. They look very similar to a smoke detector. They are available for under $50. They're much, much, much more sensitive than anyone's sense of smell. Uh, they are give out a a, a tremendous loud noise they have been mandatory uh, for years in RVs which include motor homes and travel trailers and the danger of propane is no less in your home than it is in an RV or a travel trailer and they have a tremendous uh, track record of preventing propane fires and explosions. Japan has a different type of distribution system for propane and they have had mandatory gas alarms for at least 20 years and the incidence of propane fires and explosions in Japan are drastically, drastically different. I'm glad you brought that up because we have international listeners and we had uh, we have people in Japan that are listening and we appreciate your <laughs> your telling them and that's a good thing and, and but it's not mandatory here in the United States and uh, and people just have to go out and invest in their own safety right and the other the other part of uh, 
why a gas alarm is so important. It doesn't matter whether it's natural gas or propane gas. The odorant system in gas is 100% ineffective when you're asleep. Now, for most of us, that's a third of your life. And where you sleep, you sleep at home. So if you want to have the protection of a gas leak, uh, God forbid that would happen, but they, they often happen after my clients have fallen asleep. They notice that the <clears throat> furnace is out, or they notice there's no hot water. And I'm sure, Mike, you've seen more than one occasion where someone is going down to try to get the furnace started uh, at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning when they realize the furnace is out. So the gas alarm is a tremendous backup device. We learn from our um, pioneers in space, from the Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and through the space shuttle systems that they have redundant safety systems. No one just has one safety systems. The space program has multiple systems. So we're not saying that they need to do everything you need to make the space shuttle safe, but <laughs> yeah. you know, a $50 gas alarm is, is, not, is a, a good investment in keeping you safe when you're dealing with gas. And that is certainly not unreasonable. So so you have a good, reputable company, large if, if possible, but some of these rural areas, you know, you're just going to have the local distributor, right? And then and then you have, make sure they have a good safety program, that you're, you have your system inspected uh, at least annually, uh, that you have a gas alarm. Um, I'm, all these things I'm underlining exactly what you said to me. And so, um, and then... Um, and we also have to recognize that people don't even know they've got things that they're using uh, every day that has pro- propane in it as a as a propellant, correct? Right. A lot of hairsprays, a lot of items that you use to spray in your house that are aerosol are actually propane propellant. Yeah, and we talked about earlier the even these uh, tire inflators. Exactly. They, yeah. So so um, and that's unodorized kerosene. Uh, kerosene. I notarized a, a propane. Right. Yeah, which is a, which is a thing that, um, that that people don't even realize that because that, the reason it doesn't have any odor in it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is because why would you like to spray uh, mercaptans on your on your hair every day? Would you like to smell it? I don't think Donna would appreciate that. Would you? Yeah. So I mean, so um, maybe today. Yeah, but <laughs> but anyway. But all kidding aside, it's uh, it's uh, it's important. Uh, not to throw those things in the campfires, um, like a lot of people like to do, just to see them blow up, because um, they can be disfigured in that, and they can hit by shrapnel. They get, there's all kinds of things. Uh, uh, Jamie Novak, who's a who's a great uh, fire investigator up in in St. Paul, he uh, he has a demonstration in burn cells where he puts propane, uh, uh, well, he puts uh, aerosol cans on a on a a bed, and he sets the bed on fire. And of course, and or he puts it in a, a, a like a barn, and he'll set a, a fire there, and it'll it'll blow, and it blows the pro, uh, actually blows the fire around, and it follows the container, and so you could have multiple areas of uh, fire origin. That's that's one thing. People watch movies, and and they think of an explosion, 
uh, of course, in the movies, it, it may be just a little bit of a flash, but I don't think people understand what really happens in an explosion. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, but I will tell you, since you brought it up movies, you know, almost every special effect in Hollywood where you see a flame or an explosion is propane. That's the material they use. Ah, I did not know that. So every time that they, so every automobile accident and and everything always blows up. So that's what they're using. They're using (laughs) propane to blow them up because that doesn't happen in real life. You know, every time you get rear-ended, your car doesn't explode. Well, maybe Ford Pintos, but that was a long time ago. So go ahead. Propane is uh, four times more powerful by BTUs than uh, natural gas. It is actually used as uh, uh, a fuel-air component uh, for munitions bombs. Mm -hmm. Some of the largest explosions that have happened on the planet that are non-nuclear have involved propane. There have been propane explosions at plants in Texas that have uh, hit over five on the Richter scale. I don't know how many of our listeners are old enough to remember, but when we had Marines stationed in Beirut during uh, Ronald Reagan's uh, presidency, that was a concrete bunker-type setup. It was not uh, matchsticks, so to speak. It was the way it was put together. It was a substantial building. But the uh, terrorists that attacked the Marine compound had numerous hundred-pound propane cylinders on a flatbed truck and that's what they used to take down they detonated that and it was it took down a very large substantial building it's, it's a very very powerful fuel source and I've seen everything from uh, the entire side of a house travel in excess of a hundred feet I had one case where the one of the sidewalls of the house uh, blew up with so much force that it took out two telephone poles on its path 100 feet away from the house. Right, that kind of explosive force is, uh, um, yeah, we lost over 200 uh, uh, people, uh, our soldiers and, uh, and Marines in that uh, explosion. Um, God bless their souls. The, yeah, it's so, so destructive. The, the force is so destructive. Um, um, the now they used diff- uh, Timothy McVeigh used a different type of explosive, but uh, it's it's similar in the effect in when it can take down an entire building, and uh, and so and I don't want everybody out there to think that just because you have a propane cylinder you're sitting on a time bomb, you're not doing that. If you handle things properly, um, it, it's it's uh, it can it can be safe. What people don't understand, Lou, and I know you do because you're so knowledgeable, is that there's these, um, there's an upper and lower explosive limit, and the mixture of the gas with the air is what is important, and and uh, and the percentage. If you if you detect it early enough, then you're going to you're going to be able to evacuate the place, call the proper authorities, and 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 save your life. So um, before that mixture reaches that exact, uh, fire investigators have a tendency to say stoichiometric ratio or something that, that people don't understand. Well, all that means is the mixture of, of the gas with the air, okay, and then an ignition source. 
And a lot of times we don't even know what the ignition source is. Isn't that correct? That's correct. I mean, it could be as simple as turning on a light switch. It could be uh, static electricity from your walking across carpet. Right. And then there's a... a uh, even uh, a telephone. Mm. Yeah. There's a flash. There's There's fire involved in that... There's a flame front that goes through the... Mm -hmm. There's a progression from uh, a fire to flash fire to an explosion. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen some of the worst injuries occur with propane without even having an explosion. Just to, the, the temperature, some people refer to it as the blast temperature propane, is around 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And you don't need to be exposed to 2,000 degrees for very long to have your hide burned off of you. Right. What is a, about a hundred and, what is it, that just a slight burn at, uh, at uh, like 160 degrees. I can't remember exactly what the slight burn is, but, but uh, yeah, we, these are disfiguring injuries. They're, they're burns off your, like the legs and the hands of people. Um, it's just horrible. And, um, and, um, and they, and they, at first they're, you know, when it first happens, they're, they've been traumatized, but uh, like the one guy I talked to you about, he went next door to his neighbor and said, will you please call the fire department because there was just a few things burning in the basement, just the light, the light uh, combustibles were burning in the basement. And he sat outside, uh, and this was mid-winter, and, and he sat outside and, uh, and waited uh, for, the, uh, for the ambulance and, uh, you know, uh, and with his skin dripping off, so it's just horrible. Uh, and so let's let's try and be really safe out there. Now, one of the things I want to uh, ask you about is you've you've got a you've got a that case the case that you won down in, in Georgia. Um, but that was a big that was a big case that was reported. Um, that was a, that was Freeman versus yeah. United Cities. That's yeah. a, that was a case where um, uh, what we see. More often, uh, with these small cylinders, the 20-pound mm -hmm. cylinders, they are the cylinders that are most likely to have a coating of rust on the inside. Every propane cylinder, every propane tank, to one uh, degree or another, has rust on the inside, and that's something that's pretty much inherent with the manufacturing process because in order to make these tanks strong enough, they have to heat treat them. And during that heat treatment process is usually when they get the, what I'll call the final coating of rust. There are ways in the manufacturing process where you can minimize that. But the problem with rust in a propane tank is it destroys the odorant. It chemically destroys the odorant. and. We have uh, learned from some of our great engineering experts that when you have a tank like that, that afterwards, one way you can prove that the uh, odor was lost by the uh, rust is after you evacuate all the gas on the tank, you have a uh, learned metallurgist cut it open and you can take they call them coupon samples of the propane tank and there are microscopic uh, measures you can take to actually see the layers of rust on the tank 
Right. And, I, and actually, at the scenes of some of these things, they do stick tests uh, on the uh, on the propane, uh, the the engineers, and they can they can see what the odorant level is at the tank or whatever, right? Right. And uh, well, I want to ask the ask you before we end the show because you've really done well. It's very important for for fire investigators to have an explosion. Uh, you're experts to have knowledge about these things and not go beyond the area of their expertise. Is that correct? It is. I see uh, sin committed <laughs> numerous times by experts who get beyond their area of expertise, assuming that they do have an area of expertise, <laughs> That's assuming which, is a, which is a whole other subject. Well, well yeah, which is really true, because I've been training with the IAAI for, for 20 years, and uh, more than that, actually, and we're still running across incompetent fire investigators, and, and I know you do, um, because you take depositions. Also, uh, uh, I want I want people to know how to, how do they get in touch with you, Lou. If they want uh, if they want an expert in litigation like you, how do they get in touch with you? Well, they can go the old-fashioned way and dial our phone number, <laughs> which is eight one six five six one thirty nine hundred, or they can contact us through our website, which is thecursolaw.com, and uh, they can contact us by email as, as well. Uh, my email is lacurso at acursolaw.com. And it's A-C-C-U-R-S-O for, those, for those people that don't know how to spell Acurso. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to tell you, I really appreciate your being here. The, a person with the, your level of expertise and your, your success in litigation, is always, it's always an honor for us to have you. Yes. Yes, you know, and, and I thank you for being here. Appreciate the thank compliments, you. and thank you for the opportunity to be here. Oh, that's great. So now, you, now, ladies and gentlemen, you know if you wanna if you wanna do some litigation with a with a fine attorney, talk to Lou Curso at La Curso Law Firm. Uh, now, uh, next week we're going to have an entirely different kind of a show. Don is going to be doing it with a guest uh, uh, co-host, uh, Chip Barnhart, and we're going to talk about commercial kitchen fires, other factors, because we've already had one show on commercial kitchen fires. And Chip and I go all over the country. We've been to New York. We've been to uh, Seattle. We've been to, uh, to um, California, all, all everywhere on commercial kitchen fires. So you, you're going to learn a lot. And, and Donna's going to – you're going to talk about cooking We'll talk about cooking, and we'll listen to his accent. He's got quite the East Coast accent going on. So yeah, because he's in because he now lives in South Dakota. What's what's that about? So anyway, so <laughs> all right. So when you come back next week, you won't have to talk to me. So but Donna will be here. So when you come back, come back to speaking of fire and uh, and Donna. Thanks, Lou, and we'll we'll see you next week. Thank you. Come back to speaking of fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week. <laughs>